When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Are you ready for some scolding hot takes? Talking Vikings with Dane Misutani and Chase Frederick. This is Inside Purple and Gold. What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to Inside Purple and Gold. I'm Dane Mizutani, flying solo today for the first segment, and then we will be joined by our good friends at the Washington Commanders Odyssey podcast, Take Command. Uh, Craig Hoffman's going to join us coming up here in a few minutes. Uh, But first... I'd be remiss if I did not talk about the deadline deal the Vikings made on Tuesday morning. It's Thursday morning when we record this. When we recorded the Tuesday episode, we had our good friend Paul Hodawanik on the show. We talked at length about how the Vikings had to make a deal. They had to make a move. We didn't get into the ins and outs of who they should trade for, which player, which position, Because we figured by the time the podcast posted, uh, a trade could happen. So we tried to talk about it in the broad sense, in the abstract, um, why the Vikings should make a move at 6-1. and And lo and behold, a few hours later, the Vikings made a trade for tight end TJ Hawkinson. I don't think anyone saw this one really coming. I don't think anyone deep down thought TJ Hawkinson was available. Um, he's still a young, you know, in his thir- he's had three and a half years in the NFL so far, very young, tight end. Um, a lot of times just by nature, tight ends don't hit their, their ceiling, their peak until, you know, four or five years into their career. Um, so the fact that the Lions were willing to trade TJ Hawkinson, um, I think was something that was surprising at first glance. So, when that push notification comes onto your phone and you see that the Vikings have traded for TJ Hawkinson, a name that hadn't really been floated, I think it was something that kind of came as a surprise to people. But as the days kind of went on and after the Vikings announced the TJ Hawkinson trade officially, about an hour later, they announced that Herb Smith was going on IR with a high ankle sprain. Um, he's actually expected to miss in the upwards of two months, if not more. Then you start to think, okay, this makes sense. Um, the Vikings were going to be without their their main number one target pass catching tight end. Um, TJ Hawkinson is someone who can come in and fill that role. Um, he's also someone that can play a three down tight end role, um, right? Like you, you see guys a lot of times 
um, these receiving pass catching tight ends. Um, they play on first and second down. Um, but when the defenses are sending the blitz on third down, they're, they're not so good at blocking. Um, so they come out and, you know, a team will split out into three wide receivers and, and, and leave a, a running back in the backfield to help in pass protection. That's not something you have to do with TJ Hawkinson. He is someone who can, can make all the plays in, in the passing game. He can stand up and pass protection. If you need him to, he is someone who can run it, it when during run schemes, he, he can run block efficiently and not to mention he's only 25 years old. So I say all these things to one praise general manager, Quasi Adolfa We talked about it on Tuesday. It's been talked about at length. The Vikings needed to take a swing with where they sit in the NFC right now in the NFC at six and one really only one elite team. In my opinion, in the, in the Philadelphia Eagles. So why not take a swing? But this works in, in, in multiple kind of facets. Um, it helps this year. It, it objectively helps the Vikings contend this year. Because we've seen this year that when Justin Jefferson gets double teamed or sometimes triple teamed, Kirk Cousins loves to throw underneath. And Adam Thielen isn't separating like he used to. K.J. Osborne hasn't been the dynamic player that I thought people thought he could be. He hasn't taken that next jump. Um, and Irv Smith, he's been a little bit underwhelming to this point. And now obviously he's on the shelf. So you look at a guy like TJ Hawkinson, he's someone who can slide in immediately. I think he becomes the second best pass catcher on the team once he gets up to speed and he helps you contend right now, but he's also under contract moving forward. So he's someone who, after this year, regardless of how, how things go, regardless of how this 6-1 and one start turns out, regardless of if the Vikings go on a run in the playoffs, TJ Hawkinson's under team control for another year. Obviously, he will make $9.4 million next year. The Vikings will have to finagle the cap this offseason to afford that, um, considering they have basically no money <laughs> in their pockets at this point. Um, but we, we've seen it time and time again with the Vikings. You extend a guy here, you, you convert a base salary into a signing bonus, and bam, you have money. So I, I expect them to do that with TJ Hawkinson, um, and I expect this kid to be a part of the team long-term moving forward. So I, I think when you just analyze this trade from from all the different angles, like it's a home run for Quasia Dopamenta. Like I think this is something that had to happen. I think the team deserved the front office showing confidence in them in this sense. Um, and I think when you you look at the rest of the schedule, you look at the NFC North, you look at the NFC as a whole, uh, this trade kind of tells your players, like, we're going for it. Um, it's not in, in, an all-in move. It's not as if Quasi traded two first-round picks for a guy that's 34 and, and in you know the twilight of his career. Uh, this is a move that was made for both the present and the future. And, and I think it's exactly the type of deal that, that when you really look at what Quasi has said all along, the, this is a deal he was, this is the type of deal he was going to make. So I, I will be interested to see how quickly TJ Hawkinson can, can adapt into, into this new offense. 
Um, it's something that regardless of who we've talked to, whether it's Kirk Cousins, running back Dalvin Cook, Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, Herb Smith, even the offensive linemen, all of them have said that this playbook is extremely complex. It is tough to learn. Now TJ Hawkinson has to learn it on the fly. He, he's not going to know everything before Sunday's game against Washington. It's impossible. But just look for him to kind of be used situationally this weekend and to kind of progress from there. I would not be surprised if the other tight end, Johnny Munt, um, who had a pretty good game this past Sunday, I would not be surprised if he is used more if he outsnaps TJ Hawkinson this week, simply because there's just not enough time to inundate Hawkinson with, with within the playbook. But even talking to Kevin O'Connell the other day, like there, there will be situational football that, that Hawkinson can kind of slide into, whether that's third down, red zone, goal line. Um, and then from there, you're going to see him kind of learn quickly. Um, we, we talked to Hawkinson yesterday, and I think he, he came across as a smart kid. He's obviously played in the league for three and a half years. He made a good point that NFL playbooks are generally similar. Um, there's a lot of similarities involved. This is just learning a new language. So there is some complexity to this playbook. Um, there is new terminology he's going to have to learn. But I think it bodes well that that he's been in the league. He's been playing. It's not like he's been injured. He's in football shape. As soon as he learns all of the things he needs to learn in this offense, he can kind of just hit the ground running. So uh, just a home run of a deal for, for Kwesi Adolfa I think it's exactly what the Vikings needed. Um, it's not necessarily the trade for the receiver or the cornerback or, you know, the edge rusher that people thought, uh, but I think it could be impact just as impactful um, the rest of the way. So bravo to Kwesi, bravo to the front office. Now it's on Kevin O'Connell to, to kind of maximize TJ Hawkinson's strengths and it's on TJ Hawkinson to kind of learn this offense as quickly as possible and, and prove that, that the Vikings made a good deal by acquiring him at the deadline. That's all we have for TJ Hawkinson. Um, we will talk more about him in, in the weeks to come. I'm sure Sunday he'll play and we'll talk about the, the impact he had and the impact he could have moving forward. Uh, when we come back, we'll talk, you know, we're going to welcome our guest Craig Hoffman from from the you know take command podcast uh, and you know our odyssey brother podcast and and he's going to kind of just break down what the, what to expect from from the washington commanders this weekend suddenly they've won three straight um they have a familiar face taylor heineke you know former vikings quarterback taylor heineke leading the charge um so he, he's just going to break everything down we're excited to be joined by him when we come back Welcome back to Inside Purple and Gold. I'm Dane Mizutani, joined now by our friend Craig Hoffman over with the Take Command Command podcast, our Odyssey Brother podcast. Craig, thanks for doing this today. How you doing? I'm good, Dane. Uh, excited to talk about Kirk Cousins and Kevin O'Connell, uh, topics that I have a lot of experience with. Yeah, so like, I guess let's start there um, because, from my understanding, you you did cover. Uh, the commanders or when they were the Redskins, when, when Kirk was at the, at the helm and when, when Kevin O'Connell was there, what were your impressions of those two and, and how did, did you kind of foresee, I guess you couldn't have foreseen this marriage um, at right. any point, 
but I mean, kind of with Kirk has what, what, what he's done in Minnesota, um, just kind of, what are your takeaways judging off the guy you kind of knew in, in Washington? Yeah, so I was on the the beat uh, at that time uh, for basically from 2015 to 2019. So I was there for like my first training camp was the one that Kirk got named the starter in Washington. And then I was there when mm-hmm. Kevin got hired. I was there through when Kevin, uh, you know, when Kevin ultimately left because uh, Ron Rivera didn't want to keep him and wanted to hire Scott Turner, a really bad decision. Um, but you know, I, I think with Kirk, what always impressed me was that he didn't make a ton of monumental mistakes game in, game out. Um, he obviously had some pretty high profile ones in big in like big mm-hmm. games. But week to week, like you'd watch the tape, you get really frustrated at the big plays he left on the field. But I remember having a saying being like, look, this guy's mistakes are incompletions or like short completions, checkdowns, not interceptions. And the way that moved an offense down the field, the way that helped him, yes, accumulate statistics, but like moved your offense. And I think when he left, people started to realize with some of the bad quarterback play, especially after Alex broke his leg, like how valuable that was. And and so is he the world's best quarterback that ever think he was the world's best quarterback? No. Is he someone who can operate an offense at a pretty high level? Yeah. And I think that's continued in Minnesota and probably gotten a little bit stronger, um, especially as he's gotten in this partnership with Kevin this year. Um, as far as Kevin goes, I think he's one of the smartest guys that I've, I've ever talked football with. Kevin taught me a lot about football and was kind of a continuing education for me with the relationship that I had with Sean McVay. Um, you know, Sean and Kevin both see football as this 11 man game and how each piece interacts with the other one. And I think that, you guys have definitely seen, uh, I just actually was listening to his press conference from yesterday. And like, he talked about, you know, TJ Hawkinson, part of this 11 man game, or like the tight end and how that impacts the play pass. And like, all that stuff's not new to me. Um, it was, it was like comfort food, almost hearing him talk about that kind of stuff. And so, um, I'm not surprised at all that he's a head coach. I'm not surprised at all. He's doing well. He's highly organized. He's highly thoughtful. And he's got a, the other thing too, Dane, that I think is really important for fans to know about Kevin and why I think he'll be a great head coach is he's got a high EQ, not just a high IQ. Um, he's someone who like has good relationships with people, understands people. And I think that that will help him as a head coach manage a, a, a locker room for as long as he wants to do this. No doubt. I think you made a good point about Kirk. Like he makes mistakes, but they are not like mistakes that can tank an entire game. Like He's not throwing the Matthew Stafford pick six that that's going to turn a game on its head while he's done that in the past. I think your point about he's going to check down and and maybe that's going to frustrate people. Maybe you're going to need seven yards on third and seven and and he's going to throw the five yard in and hope his, his tight end can get that. Chronically throws for six on third and seven. Yes. He's, he's the check, you know, Mr. Checkdown, checkdown King. Um, But he is someone who I think, early in his career at the Vikings, he became this polarizing figure by nature. That's just kind of who he's been since he's been in the NFL. And, and I think I was kind of on the spectrum of like, you cannot win a Super Bowl with this guy. But as I've kind of progressed into his career and watching him kind of battle through a new offensive coordinator, pretty much every year he's been with the Vikings and seeing some poor quarterback play across the league, just like, in general, like you can do a heck of a lot worse than Kirk Cousins. I think there's a lot of teams in the NFL that would love to have Kirk Cousins as their quarterback. No, I 100% agree. And I mean, 
the so the checkdown thing, I think I can actually give some interesting background to you and, and obviously the listeners about this who are Vikings fans who aren't as in tune with the early part of his career. So like Kirk was the opposite to start his career. He wanted to make big plays all over the place. And Sean and and Jay Gruden were ready to kill him. They were just like, guy, <laughs> you've got to settle down. Um, like Mike Shanahan as well and Kyle when they were here. Um, because that was mm-hmm. Kirk's, you know, first let's see, 12, 13, 14, first three years in the league, or I guess two years. Uh, they were fired after 13. Jay takes over in 14. Kirk becomes the starter in 15. But Kirk would just throw the ball down. I mean, he had Deshaun Jackson, he had Pierre Garcon, like good guys to throw to, but he'd throw right. in a double coverage all the time. He always wanted the big play. And they were like, dude, chill out. And he way overcorrected. And so what's been happening basically ever since is coaches have been trying to pull him kind of back in the right direction and say, hey, take the shot when it's there. And there would be so often I'd go back and watch film and just he'd be, his eyes would be in the right place. His read would be in the right place. He'd have a guy open and you'd be like, what, what more do you want? Throw it. And then he'd check it down. But what you realize, I think in the NFL and um, you know, we're seeing this right now with, with Taylor versus Carson, because those two guys are almost like the two versions of Kirk put in super concentration. Like Carson always wants the big play. He's always looking down the field. He refuses to just check the ball down quickly where Taylor checks the ball down quickly. And you see the impact it has, especially when you have playmakers for guys that can run after the catch because they have time and space and, and the timing of an NFL offense and how slim the margins are in terms of just how efficiently things need to happen. And so I think with Kirk, he's kind of found a nice balance. Like, yeah, he's definitely had some high-profile goofs, some 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 of those catastrophic pick sixes in really big moments throughout his career. But week in, week out, down in, down out, drive in, drive out. Like, he's not a guy who's going to get you three and out a ton. He understands how to move an offense up and down the field. I think this relationship with Kevin, because of where Kirk came from and the coaches that he had early in his career, probably really suits him because they see football the same way. And some of the details, and Kirk is like in a very weird way, detail oriented. Uh, I don't know if you guys have gotten to the, the 15 minute block schedules, uh, in his, in his time there. Mm-hmm. Um, but like he's, a, he's an interesting cat, um, uh, but it actually works with some of the things that you need to be as a quarterback in the NFL. And so, um, his weirdness, if you will, can, can pay off in a big way that you've seen this year. Yeah. I think his weirdness has really come out this year too. Um, it's, it's something that, we asked him about it earlier this week and he said like winning helps like you you have to have obviously winning in in the culture of that that provides allows everyone to kind of be themselves but for sure to that well, point here's, I, here's the other thing too is like age helps like if he's 22 <clears throat> years old coming in like i'm not eating nightshades everyone's like all right kid like you're a super weirdo <laughs> tom brady does it when he's 38 years old and everyone's like oh my god brady is the goat well kirk's in his 30s now so people are like oh veteran taking care of his body when it's like i don't know man you could probably eat a tomato Right. But I do think that the relationship that you talked about with him and Kevin plays a role too. Cause last year it was well documented that him and Mike Zimmer clashed. He was not a Mike Zimmer guy and, and, and Mike Zimmer, you know, didn't really want Kirk as his quarterback. You're seeing this year, Kirk has a guy that wants him that, that is invested in, in, in making sure he succeeds. And, and he's totally leaning into himself. Like Kirk's a dork. Like you're right. Like he drives that conversion <laughs> van. He has like that, that, that pile of rocks that he keeps outside of his house that he takes one out every month to kind of confront his own mortality. Like this is a, he's a weird dude who would like, I think for the longest time, the past three and a half years in Minnesota, people have just been screaming at him. Like just be yourself. That's all we really want from you. 
Well, now he has someone who's invested in him, someone who who wants him. And, and I think you're seeing kind of that that side of him. He feels more comfortable. Certainly winning helps. Um, Kirk's not going to go put on Christian Darasaw's chain if they're not winning a football game. But I think all of those things combined kind of have have led to success this year. And, and it's telling, too, because he hasn't been good in, in his stats. Like, his, he's off to statistically one of the worst starts of his career, the worst seven-game stretches to start a season of his career. Uh, but he's stepping up in big moments when the Vikings need him, and, and he's definitely someone who, um, when you look at the 6-1 and one start, um, um, he's a big reason for it. So For sure. And, and you know, that also helps with the relationships with teammates and stuff where the, the dorkiness can hurt. And I think in his career early on, he had trouble connecting and you know we've seen this with Carson and some stops and you know for all of the bad quarterbacking that Carson had this year that hasn't been a problem as much this year um because of the age and you know kind of having a little bit of clout in the league and I think as Kirk has has gotten that um it's a lot easier for a young guy like Justin Jefferson to be like yeah no I when I was in college Kirk Cousins was throwing for 4,000 yards to Deshaun Jackson I Kirk he doesn't know that like Deshaun and Kirk weren't besties like he does and he doesn't care he's like that dude was was putting up numbers and I want to put up numbers. And so I think that goes a long way. The winning obviously helps a ton and it can kind of smooth over some of the other things that can fracture when you're not winning. And, and certainly a coach quarterback relationship like you guys had with Zimmer and cousins last year uh, is, is one of those things. For sure. We'll leave that there. When we come back, we'll talk to Craig a little bit more uh, just about the commanders as a whole. Certainly a ton to talk about. Um, we'll get into a little bit about the game um, coming up here, what to expect. Obviously, three straight wins for, for the commanders. Um, looking like a team I, I think is a, better than people thought in the NFC. Kind of similar to the Vikings, better than a lot of people thought in the NFC. Uh, more on that when we come back. Welcome back to Inside Purple and Gold. I'm Dane Mizutani, joined by Craig Hoffman. Um, he's the co-host of Take Command, an Odyssey Brother podcast. Um, he's been in Washington. He covered Kirk Cousins. He covered Kevin O'Connell for for a, the years that he was there. Um, and, and we're happy to have him on um, today. Uh, Craig, we talked a lot about this from a kind of a Vikings angle, from a Kirk Cousins, Kevin O'Connell angle in, in the last segment. But this commander's team, like three straight wins, Four and four, if they're in another division, they, they might be in contention for, you know, sniffing, you know, the, a division title. Just they, they by nature play in a, a division with the seven and O Eagles, the five and two Giants or the five and two Cowboys. So it's like, how good is this team? Because we, we've seen them string together three wins. Um, I, I just I, I can't get a gauge on them. You're obviously around there more than we are. Um how good is this commander's team um, that the Vikings are dealing with on Sunday? Honestly, Dane, I don't think they're very good. Um, <laughs> I said this earlier this year and I just was like, they're a bad football team and uh, people kind of freaked out. And then they were one and four and I look like a genius and now they're four and four and I look a, you know, a little less of a genius, but I still really don't think that through this winning streak, much has changed. Um, mm -hmm. And it really comes down to a very simple fact. I don't think they're well coached offensively, which is why, you know, when we first started our conversation, I said that the decision for Ron Rivera to bring Scott Turner here uh, instead of Kevin mm -hmm. O'Connell was a very bad one. Um, and that goes deeper in some of the stuff that was happening at the time. But uh, overall, like they just don't get the most out of their talent. Uh, the quarterback situation, which I'm sure we'll talk about, is complicated. But part of that, too, is even with the quarterbacks they have, whether it be Wentz previously or now Heineke, they have one of the best skill position groups in the league. Like, Terry McLaurin 
is a bad dude. And by bad dude, I mean great receiver. He's phenomenal. <laughs> Maybe not on Justin Jefferson. If Justin Jefferson's an A+, Terry's an A. Right? Like, he's incredible. They're different kind of receivers, but, like, Terry's ridiculous. Curtis Samuel is phenomenal. Antonio Gibson is really, really dangerous. And part of their off- their resurgence has been getting him the ball more, one of their running backs. Brian Robinson's mm-hmm. very solid as a rookie. J.D. McKissick, who may or may not play this weekend, is... Uh, you know, he, he's a little up in the air, uh, but when he's healthy, he's super useful. Uh, and obviously the rookie Jahan Dotson, when he's been out there, has been exceptional for a rookie, although he's probably out this weekend as well with the a hamstring injury that he re-injured a couple weeks ago. Um, but the, the, the larger point is like they've got weapons and they do not utilize them in the ways that say Kevin is us- utilizing Justin Jefferson or was utilizing Irv Smith or, you know, Dalvin Cook. Like Kevin understands that it's about who you have and maximizing their talent, and that's your scheme. Scott is like, we have an offense that my dad ran, and this is how I learned it in the book, and we're just going to run the plays. And he's gotten a little bit better the last couple of weeks, and I do think part of that is Taylor has a deeper understanding of this offense than Carson did, but it's still not great. Like their offensive resurgence, like they're scoring 17 points a game. Uh, you know, or whatever it is. You know, they they get 23 against the Packers. They beat the Bears because of a muffed punt in the last couple mm-hmm. of minutes and they had, you know, against the Packers, there was a key muffed punt as well. So it's like, it's, it's really not that impressive to me. And defensively they face bad offenses. Um, not that they're not playing well, not that this defense isn't good. If, like Kevin and that offensive staff have their hands full. Kirk has his hands full this week without question, but can they put up 24, 30 points on this defense? if the defense plays like it did the last couple of weeks where they let a bunch of big plays uh, go by and, and the offenses couldn't take advantage. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what scares me. I think for the commanders of these next two weeks is you have Minnesota obviously this weekend, and then they have Philly the weekend after. And that's, uh, that's pretty scary uh, in terms of, of the big play potential and, and the way they've been playing, not being good enough. Sure. How, how has Taylor Heineke looked? I mean, obviously he's put together the two wins. Um, he's someone Vikings fans know pretty, pretty well, just because he was kind of that darling of, of preseason of, of training camp of mini camp back in the day. Um, we can probably get more into this when I join your guys show later, but he was going to be the starter the, the year that, that, that Teddy blew out his knee. Um, but Taylor kind of did something. Uh, we won't get too deep into that. And, and in the off season um, that kind of in, enabled him to be able to do that. Um, but how has he looked in, in, in the offense so far? What does he bring? Um, and, and you touched on it a little bit in last segment. Um, that's different from Carson. Why does the offense seem to, to kind of believe in this guy and rally around him? Well, I mean, from a belief standpoint, it starts with his story, right? Like he was there with you guys in Minnesota, went to Houston, never actually played in a game, uh, ultimately is on his couch, uh, or, you know, goes to Carolina, plays like one game in, in the 2018 season with Ron and Scott and company. And then he's waiting on his couch in 2020 as their emergency quarterback. And then he finally gets the call up for a playoff game and, and actually plays decently well. And so everyone, you know, has this legend of Taylor Heineke and um, undrafted the way he plays, the scrappiness, the competitiveness. There's a lot of that, that intangible stuff that uh, helps inspire belief amongst others. He has a, the memory of a goldfish, which is a great thing for a quarterback to have, not something that Kirk always had when he was here uh, for whatever that's worth. Um, but Taylor last week throws what should have been a game ending backbreaking interception against the Colts. And then uh, Cozen leads a 12 play drive for a field goal and a nine play drive for a touchdown and they win the game. So 
that kind of stuff, I think, endears him to his teammates. But from like a more functional standpoint, he just understands the offense and understands it on a conceptual level where it's like, we're trying to get this guy the ball and this concept and we're trying to attack that right now. And Carson would be like, what's the coverage? If the coverage is this, then I'm supposed to, oh no, it's covered. And it just, it didn't happen fast enough for him. Carson's a guy that likes to see it and not anticipate. Taylor throws with great anticipation often, which can be good and bad, um, but mostly is good. Um, He's also mobile, and this offensive line is not very good right now. Um, They have not been playing well, but his ability to, one, get the ball out quickly, and two, move within and get outside of the pocket has been a complete game changer. If Carson Wentz had played the last two weeks, we're looking at six to eight sacks per game. Taylor's taken a total of three. And that ability to keep your offense on schedule by not being in second and 19 all the time uh, has made an enormous difference for this team. They've had a bunch of bad screen passes that they need to clean up so that they've got some second and 14 situations last week with, that really killed them uh, in third and longs they didn't convert. But I think that's the biggest difference is the, the conceptual understanding, the anticipation, and the mobility have been the change for him uh, compared to Carson that have, that have really set this offense forward. You, you talk about the conceptual understanding and it, it kind of clicked to me like, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, Kirk and, and Kevin have a, have a history and, and Taylor and Scott have a history. Scott loved Taylor. He was obsessed with Taylor during their time in Minnesota. So it's not too surprising that like he was someone who helped him get into the league and he's someone who helped him stay into the league. And now they're having success, um, success in the very like micro sense um, because like to your earlier point, how good are the commanders? We don't know. But over the past couple of weeks, um, that that tandem has looked successful. Um, last one here, and then we'll kind of wrap. The defense you mentioned, um, giving up too many big plays. But Kirk was asked about the defensive front yesterday, and, and it would seem if the, the commanders are going to rattle Kirk this weekend, it's going to be by pressuring him. Um, yep. When he gets pressured, especially up the middle, he kind of folds like a lawn chair. Um, how... how impactful could this defensive front be i know chase young just got uh, designated for injury for return off the injured reserve I, I i don't think he'll be ready but like do you think he do you think the defensive front is something that that could kind of fluster kirk cousins knowing what you know about the defense and knowing what you know about kirk cousins ability to handle pressure absolutely um if they win i would say that's probably the best path for it um now mm-hmm. yes chase chase is very unlikely to play he just went through individual drill on wednesday uh and they're really anticipating him making his debut on monday night next week against philadelphia sure so they've got that 21 day window uh but the, the bad news for the vikings is they've got three other first rounders and those dudes are really good football players and by the way the guys mm-hmm. that have been replacing chase are Good football players. James Smith-Williams, Casey Tuhill, uh, F.A. Obata have all made impacts this year. And they, they unlike what Chase was doing last year, like this defense really struggled last year with guys freelancing and, and it caused a bunch of big plays to be given up. And the guys that replace Chase just do their job. And, and it's actually been a nice compliment to Montez Sweat on the other side, who, while he doesn't have massive sack numbers this year, does have uh, one of the – he's top five, maybe top three. At one point, he was leading the league in pressures. I haven't checked the stats this week, but he is he's having a really good year in terms of his impact that he has. He's also a great run defender. Uh, so that's that's been something that they've, they've really excelled at is stopping the run against some of the best rushing offenses in the league. Um, I think – 
in terms of the interior pressure, though, like I don't know, there's a better duo, but than John Allen and Deron Payne. You know, obviously Aaron Donald and literally anybody that's an NFL caliber player next to Aaron Donald would have a say about that. But Allen and Payne is as like even distribution of talent. Good luck finding two better than those guys. Um, both first round picks. Allen's already signed a massive extension. Payne's going to get paid in a major way this off season. And they deserve it. They are, and, and not only are they good run players, like they are both excellent interior pass rushers um, and guys who understand how to rush together. Um, they they stunt, they twist, they understand. Also, if Kirk tries to get the ball out quick, like hey, let's get our hands up. They bat down a, bun- a bunch of balls. And I think what's been really interesting, Dane, about their season is the consistency with which those guys make big plays. So yeah, they might give up a big play, and all of a sudden, the teams in the red zone. Or they give up six, seven runs in a row. All of a sudden, a team's down in the red zone. This happened uh, in an early drive for Indianapolis last week. The Indy finally got going. They got the run game going. They're gashing them six, seven yards a carry. Jonathan Taylor busts a big one. And then John Allen, boom, on first down in, the, in like first in, I think it was first and 10 from the 15, tackle for, fi- tackle for loss for five. Now, all of a sudden, Indy's got a throw on second and 15. Allen helps uh, flush Ellinger out of the pocket, hits him, and Ellinger fumbles. And next thing you know, zero points, back the other way, they go. And the consistency with which they might give up a big play, save it from an initial touchdown, and then make a big play themselves has been really phenomenal. So they'll give up some yards at times, but they will not break. Um, And that's going to be the the question is, like, can Minnesota turn those big plays into touchdowns? And can they take advantage of some of the other busts that other teams have not been able to take advantage of the past couple of weeks, including Aaron Rodgers, uh, because as you guys well know, uh, he doesn't have anyone to throw to that he likes. For sure. Awesome. We'll wrap it there. Uh, you know, it should be a good game this Sunday. Um, I think a, probably a better game than than, than most were expecting. Um, curious to see kind of how everything kind of plays out. Kirk's talked about his return to Washington, obviously something he looks forward to. Uh, Craig, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for stopping by. That, that's all we have for this episode of Inside Purpling Bold. Like I said, for Craig Hoffman, I'm Dane Mizutani. Thanks for stopping by. We're out. Twenty Four Hundred Sports is an Odyssey company. 